MLS, look, I think but the quote from Don Garber is something like every dime spent on soccer that, that is not spent on MLS is a waste. So U.S. Open Cup is, by definition, a waste for them. I mean, especially when somebody like Messi shows up. The last thing they want is somebody dividing Messi revenue on a U.S. Open Cup pitch in a USL town. I mean, that's the last thing they want. And plus, the other last thing they want is USL or lower division sides beating them. I mean, everybody celebrates that. Some of those are the biggest, those are some of the biggest drawing news articles vis-a-vis MLS that there are is when an MLS team loses in U.S. Open Cup. Those articles get more reads and more traction than anything short of, um, shoot, than anything short of sometimes World Cup views. I mean, these are really great stories when that happens. And you and I both know that that's, I mean, it's tiny window on what could happen and what will happen when the system opens. But, you know, MLS doesn't want that. MLS doesn't need that kind of scrutiny. MLS needs isolation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 Podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. And Lord knows that we need it right now. The following is an episode with Ted Westervelt, considered by many, including myself, as one of the originals who have been online for well over a decade advocating and educating regarding promotion and relegation here in the United States and abroad. As you'll see in this episode, he is very well versed in the subject. And as much as some might want to tell you that this topic has been beaten to death, it has only just begun, ladies and gentlemen. There is so much misunderstanding and the rabbit hole is so deep with respect to what promotion relegation actually is. Hint, it is not a league format. And what it is not. And how it impacts every single touch point, from the very top all the way down to your seven-year-old playing soccer on the weekends in their 7v7 format. This conversation was held just a few days ago on the eve of what is becoming an increasing fiasco between Major League Soccer and it attempting to destroy the United States Open Cup, the longest standing tournament in the United States with over 100 years of heritage. And guess what? It is connected to promotion relegation. Because the fact of the matter is, because we do not have promotion relegation, and instead we have one single company, MLS LLC, monopolizing the entire ecosystem, well, that monopoly has monopoly power and is now dragging our federation through the mud, a federation which is supposed to be an advocate for all constituents in the American soccer ecosystem. Again, that is you, dad and mom, who have a 7, 12, 15, 18-year-old child uh, working their way up or down the ecosystem. And that is you, coach of a youth soccer team, and all of your struggles. That is you, youth soccer club in the United States, and all of your struggles. That is you, youth league in the United States, and all of your struggles. That is Everybody involved, businesses who are off the field, are directly impacted by all of these things. So hang on tight. Let's listen to Ted Westervelt. I try to keep my distance and not participate too much in this discussion. Just let his reservoir of knowledge, history, and understanding of the game come forth. Here we go. On that note, what sponsors this episode are two main products. One for coaches and one for parents. Coaches. You need to get your ass over to 343coaching.com. 
stat where you can gain immediate access to witnessing training sessions from a legitimate pioneer in developing American soccer players and teams. You can join thousands of American coaches who have gone through the program or are in the program today at 343coaching.com. Oh, and if you happen to be coaching the little ones in the 7v7 format, we've got you covered there as well. For that, go to 7v7coaching.com. And parents, we have a -a one-of-a-kind program for you as well. You can find that at 343masterclass.com. Get over there today, simply submit your email address, and we'll do the rest. With that, let's just head on into the episode. I hope you enjoy. Let's go. Let's just jump straight into it, Ted. First, with a brief little intro, let me tell the audience here that I don't know if I discovered you, right? But you came across my screen, and I think it was Twitter, way back, maybe in 2010, and you were already talking about promotion and relegation way back then. And I was kind of a late bloomer in the sense that I've been in soccer my entire life since I was able to walk. My family is all from Argentina. I've been a player. I've been a coach. I've, I mean, you name it, I've been involved. And I went through this whole journey of what is wrong with American soccer? What is wrong with American soccer? For years and years and years, even after being a practitioner, Ted, and maybe it was around 2013, 2014, 2015. I don't exactly have the date pinpointed, but I finally came around to realizing it is the ecosystem itself that is flawed, wrong, um, or, or it is the ecosystem that is providing these certain incentives to everybody to behave in a certain way. And that is really the rot, the, the ooze of the rot that is American soccer. And it all stems based, to based in, promotion relegation. Based entirely on all kinds of misperceptions about history, about the state of the game, about how it has to be treated. I mean, so it's based on all of these misconceptions that people come to this conclusion that somehow soccer has to be treated in this weird, special way that we have to be very, very careful and do things a certain way. So interesting. So, okay, that's a little bit of my history of how you came across my screen and a little bit of my evolution. Obviously, it's very short-winded there, but tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm sure many in our audience are familiar with soccer reform with Ted Westervelt, but in your own words and to broaden the reach, because I think you're a very important figure here. Uh, tell us, you know, a little bit about yourself and how you came across this whole notion. Um, I majored in political science in college, played a little bit of soccer, JV, terrible soccer player. I went to DC and, and worked in politics for 10, 15 years and got kind of full of my, had my, had my, had my walk, got full of Washington, D.C. and and wanted to go and came to Colorado. But before I left D.C., I, uh, I, I rediscovered soccer and I, and I discovered soccer when MLS came. I was very excited about MLS. We were talking, you know, obviously I, I graduated in 1990 from undergrad. So, um, that's, it all coincided. So I was a D.C. United season ticket holder and was very fired up about the league. But as it went on and as I went on and before I left D.C. and I I found myself sort of falling out of Major League Soccer, kind of being like something's missing here and I'm not quite sure what. But and at the same time that's happening, Fulham is is starting to come up with Brian McBride and Clint Dempsey and uh, and others. And uh, it it captured my interest. And what captured my interest with Fulham, of course, is not they were winning the league, but they were fighting relegation. And I found it um, 
the most compelling sport I'd ever seen. So, um, took that, came out of DC with that and moved to Denver to be a little bit closer to family and to get away from DC, honestly, but sort of wanted to explore that after, after I left DC, still wanted to do some politics and was very interested in soccer. And this thing's just struck me as like, why, what is the story here? Like, how does this tie in? Why, why don't we have promotion relegation? How, how could we do it? Well, you know, what are the options here? And, and, uh, that led me to start sort of poking around on social media, put up a website, ran into just all kinds of vitriol, which, you know, I think obviously all that vitriol is designed to make you shut up. But for me, that doesn't work out. So it really got me interested when the, there was a, you know, an organized effort to, to shut people up who were talking about promotion relegation. So now I'm really fascinated and just decide that I'm just going to keep rolling with this and go with it and, and see where it ends up. Awesome, Ted. Well, from my vantage point, you've been a big influence, especially in those early days. And then as we all kind of do, we, we take an idea and then we run with it sometimes in our own sort of directions. Obviously you and I are coming from somewhat similar, but distinct trajectories as well. Right. Um, from my end, the coaching side of the equation, the coaching education side of the equation, the player development side of the equation, um, the past. God bless you. God bless yeah, you. Yeah. Well, well, and the, and in the past eight years, um, the representing professional players uh, side of the equation as well, and trying to give some of these uh, very talented American soccer players and people have it wrong. We have a lot of talent in this country. Uh, give them, afford them opportunities, open doors for them that would otherwise not be open for them. And that's been the mission the past seven years or so. So while we come at it from maybe different angles, I think we both converge to the same fundamental principle and that is the principle of sporting merit sporting integrity laissez-faire economics for lack of a better term an open market can you maybe expand a little bit on that because many folks that i come across and you talked about a concerted effort online yes against promotion relegation many of many of their angles center around not expanding beyond the sport itself if you feel me, they're like, ah, Ted, what's the problem? First, it's just soccer, and we didn't really have soccer before, and now MLS is going on 30 years strong, and it's the most successful league ever. But they center on sport, 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 and the success of the league versus broadening their horizons and looking at economics, looking at equal op equal opportunity, uh, et cetera. Right. I mean, you know, for me, you sort of start by saying, with somebody who is, who is maybe a little bit quizzical on this, it's like, if you give them a five minute description of what's going on in American soccer, about the controls and about the gatekeeping and all the stuff that we both know about and about how, you know, the economics has to be very tightly controlled and the money has to go to MLS. And it's kind of like, what other part of your life are you going to let somebody control this much? I mean, you really have to put the game in a very crippled position to believe somehow that, that, you know, there's some kind of messianic theory that without MLS, it wouldn't exist or all of that, you know, it's kind of a little Stockholm system in the Stockholm syndrome mixed in. And it's like, well, what do you, you know, how do you, there's that whole malaise and it's so connected and you're right. It's much bigger. I mean, you call it ecosystem. That's the best way to put it. It's, you know, this is just economics and i come this from a from a liberal background and i'm liberal on you name it i'm i'm medicare for all i'm 
all of that stuff. But on this, it's like, you know, there are places in this economy where we should be as free market, full opportunity as possible. And, and sports has got to be one of them. I mean, why can't, why can't we have an open, you know, why can't this be a meritocracy? There's, you know, I understand it. Some facets of the, some sections of the economy, like if you're an electricity provider or something like that, maybe you need some controls and some things. We want to make sure that electricity gets to your house and your business and all of this. And we should go to a full open market system. We went through Enron. We went through all that. I obviously don't want that, but we're not talking about, you know, some public kind good. of critical. Yeah. We're not talking about public good here. We're, we're talking about sports. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, this is entertainment. Even you talk to people in Hollywood and you say, okay, or somebody like Alexi Lawless will say, well, you know, this is entertainment. It's like the entertainment industry, but still it's a hundred times more controlled, a hundred times more um, micromanaged from the top than, than even the entertainment industry. So, you know, at what point do you say soccer is, is, is not this feeble organism that requires this paternalistic hand of this greater power that we must all succumb to and, and we can look out in the world and see how it works differently, but we just can't, it can't happen here. And then you get into the psychology for me of like, well, you know, I want to say you're being robbed, but it's hard to tell someone being robbed. If they don't feel like they're being robbed, then you're basically, they feel like you're calling them an idiot because, well, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm being robbed. You know, I subscribe to this system and it's good. And so I understand all that, and 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 one of the reasons, and one of the reasons I've gotten into the the American soccer history angle is because of this. It's like there is one of those myths that we don't have America, we don't have the history that say in England does, or a, a European country does, or Argentina does, but in fact we do, and it's a long series of lessons in the same thing we're talking about here today. It's about here we go, we're setting up soccer in a way that's different than the rest of the world. And wouldn't you know it, it's not reaching expectations. It's not doing, and it, this isn't a recent thing. It goes back to the 70s. It goes back to the 20s. You know, you look at American soccer history with a, with a, without sunglasses on and you see this repeating pattern over and over and over again. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge, it's part of a much broader issue of what's going on in the economy today. We have places that are tightly controlled and people who have been given a lot of power to basically run the market in sectors of the economy that you're not improving the outcome by doing that. So this is just another example of that. Yeah. So speaking of which, why do those who oppose or, you know, because many of them will position themselves as not being opposed to promotion relegation, they would love to see it someday. They're being realistic and those sorts of things. Where do they get their worldview from? Where do they get that from? Because I have a hard time believing that it is self-formed. I have a, I have this inkling feeling, yes, that there are folks that are programming the general public uh, with these sorts of narratives. Oh, well, look at the NFL, look at NBA. Those are all central, centrally planned sports. They are the biggest sports enterprises on planet earth. You know, that why centrally can't- planned. Centrally planned is such a, that's such a good term. Yeah. Why can't, so look at that as evidence, Ted, you know, MLS just needs another 30 years until they become as big as the NFL. But, but these are yeah. the narratives that they wholeheartedly, many of them believe, um, where are they getting this from? Uh, I think a lot of it, in my experience, a lot of it is just the typical, 
you know, sort of the human response of we've been doing something for a really long time. This is how it goes. We've set up our careers around working in this system and trying to advance based on the rules that exist. I run into that a lot. And, um, you know, they don't, they don't, the people that tend to argue about this are usually the people with, for me, usually people within that system who feel threatened by a change that might upset that balance and upset all of the things that they may have worked for in their careers or, you know, all the gatekeepers they've passed in the time that they've been doing what they've been doing, which, you know, when I ran into that in a, in a forthright manner, it's like, for me, you're talking about such a, such a, an explosion in the game that, uh, you know, rising tide to lift, lift all boats. If you're concerned that going to promotion relegation is going to negative impact your career, you, you, to me, you're just like, it's the, it's the, it's the definition of a rational fear. It's just, you're talking about an explosion of the, of the American soccer economy in a way that it's difficult to, to, to find a way that anybody who has experience in the sport is going to suffer in any way, shape or form. Yeah. I feel as if they have this mentality of it's a zero sum system. It, if it's not for MLS, then, then it's like, uh, you, you understand with zero sum. So if you open the whole thing up, they're like, well, where's the pie all going to be? How is it going to be split up? And that they would be losing a piece of the pie if you right. open it up for, for more people. And there's legitimate concerns out there. The people who said, well, um, you know, here's our system in terms of um, sports leagues are like this. There's legal precedent set up all around them, all the way back to the baseball antitrust exemption, all the way to the NFL quasi antitrust exemptions, all the way through the, the how the sports unions are tied in, in terms of once you have a union um, that that uh, once a, once a sports league has a union that accepts them from a lot of antitrust scrutiny. So. All of that system is dropped and the people tend to say, you're trying to take a step out of that system. You're trying to set an entirely new precedent in professional sports that's not, you know, it, it's just not workable from a business standpoint, the way we do sports in this country. And to that, I reply, well, I'm not really in the soccer business, so I can, you know, I'm in the political business, so I want to see this change that allows that to happen. And I, I, I can, I can see the path to that and. And every day I wake up, that's, that's the path we're on. Tell us a little bit about that path, Ted, because we always run into this resistance that it's never going to happen. They're so powerful at this point. You have a conglomeration of 30 billionaires with a B together, unified under one umbrella. There's no battling this thing. So how do we go from here to the promised land? I mean, look, the federation system, in my mind, is the key to this entire thing. And one of the things that separates U.S. pro sports from from a sport like a global sport like soccer is that the global governance for basketball or baseball or whatever global government there is for American football is is comparatively weak. And, you know, look, I'll be running into people who say FIFA has too much power, FIFA this and that, FIFA is corrupt. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, they have the same rules for all of the game all over the world. And for a global game, you know, they're indispensable. Sure, they have problems. But that, this, this structure gives us a path to promotion relegation that maybe other American sports don't have. I mean, the, the FIFA precedents are for that. The FIFA statutes are for that. Americans have carved out a little bit of an exemption that probably could be closed up. Um, we're dealing with that. 
Um, but like I said, I, I can't I can't emphasize it anymore that the, the federation structure is key to this. The governance is the key. And so, you know, that'll bridge out to the shenanigans that are going around U.S. Open Cup and how MLS is trying to separate themselves from federation structures. And of course they are because they want to be like another U.S. pro sport. They don't want to answer to all this governance. They've been shaping at that for forever. And I mean, you look at the Euro Super League, again, you're dealing with, you see sort of the same themes in the Euro Super League plotters where they want to, you know, they want to, they want to save a bunch of money for a few teams and save, you know, some of the teams that have been overspending and doing dumb stuff for years, like the Barcelonas of the world. And okay, but, you know, they don't, they're chafing at governance as well. But this governance is, governance is a, is a, is a, is a problem every day. But it's a problem that it's important to work on because without it, you're left with an MLS. I mean, an ungoverned monster basically can decide to do almost whatever it wants to do. And look, I remember 10 years ago that nobody, people were like, MLS is never going to, you know, that's your path. That's your meritocracy. U.S. Open Cup, which is ridiculous on its face because, you know, a one-off tournament, a single elimination, it does not make up for it. It is not going to provide the economic incentive that a fully owned system was. But they said that was your one window and that could all be over next year. It could be over in months. So again, you're dealing with an ungo thing. They shape governance. They don't want governance. And that's why governance is important. Yeah, no, well put. I've been harking at this U.S. Open Cup hostility from MLS for years now because I think they've, they have been floating out these feelers in public for five, six, seven, ten years now about, oh, the Open Cup isn't that important, that, you know, let's downgrade it every which way possible. They've been trying to undermine and sabotage it forever, Ted. And I raised the warning flags, as I'm sure you did as well, years ago. And now it's coming to a, a head finally because of that divorce, it seems, between Soccer United Marketing and the Federation. At least that's what it seems from the outside, right? It used to be MLS through its Soccer United Marketing property was you know controlling the soccer the u.s soccer federation uh, the control was was easily identified and easily mapped out on paper with the sum and 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 recently it is better right i it feels better and the fact that we're having this conflict at all i think there are people within, within u.s soccer who want to and i know some of the people who are on this promotion relegate bandwagon with me you know, really believe that the Federation can be changed from the inside. And I'm of the, I'm of sort of the opinion, we've got to organize another organization, not a separate Federation, but to organize as a, as a group of people who, who aren't the, the people who aren't trying to get into to Don Garber's pockets and who aren't trying to, you know, find a way to do that, who are just trying to make American soccer the best they can. That's all my dream, but still, yeah, I mean, at this juncture, there are light openings and it, it's great to see now the departure of uh, division one from the u.s open cup would be a very bad development but i'm not sure i'm not sure they can get away with it why why would that be why first off I, can you can you just explain to the audience here because i'm sure many of them would like to hear it why do you think u.s or, or mls wants to exit the open cup because they will read the media muppet narratives. Oh, well, the MLS schedule is so congested now. They have so many things, so many responsibilities, so many things going on. The Open Cup doesn't bring enough revenue. Never mind that that's MLS's fault that they never developed the Open Cup. But they will hear all these nonsensical apologist 
narratives from those who cover major league soccer and kind of buy it hook, line, and sinker. They are there to manufacture consent, Ted. Right. That, that is their only job, these media right. guys. And it is our job as independents to kind of say, hey, everybody, that is not true. Here's the real, you know, biscuit. So maybe inform the public a little bit about that. Well, I mean, the U.S. soccer, since the sum departure from U.S. soccer, has done more to bolster U.S. Open Cup than at any time since I've been following the issue. So you have a, a you know, they've been, they pump more money into it. They pump more organization into it. They pump more, more promotion into it um, than ever before. So, of course, it's, you know, MLS, look, I think, but the quote from Dar Garber is something like every dime spent on soccer that, that is not spent on MLS is a waste. So U.S. Open Cup is, by definition, a waste for them. I mean, especially when somebody like Messi shows up. The last thing they want is somebody dividing Messi revenue on a U.S. Open Cup pitch in a USL town. I mean, that's the last thing they want. And plus, the other last thing they want is USL or lower division sides beating them. I mean, everybody celebrates that. Some of those are the biggest, those are some of the biggest drawing news articles vis-a-vis -vis MLS that there are is when an MLS team loses in U.S. Open Cup. Those articles get more reads and more traction than anything short of, um, shoot, than anything short of sometimes World Cup views. I mean, these are really great stories when that happens. And you and I both know that that's, I mean, it's tiny window on what could happen and what will happen when the system opens. But MLS doesn't want that. MLS doesn't need that kind of scrutiny. MLS needs isolation. They, they need isolation. And they're really having a, you know, you, the European Super League isn't going very well, but they've been able to close, help close Mexico and bring the Mexican clubs and bring Mexican soccer down closer to their level. So they didn't have to try to even aspire to get up to that level. So again, it's sort of the closed league mentality incarnate when you're talking about this stuff got it so the latest developments because in it was in december when don garber first came out and said hey we're pulling out of the open cup and then there was quite a a backlash i would say from the public uh eat work where even mls reporters kind of had to chime in a little bit and say well you know it, it's not a great look. Maybe it's not the best thing to do. It got to that point, Ted, where they even had to kind of say a little something positive about the Open Cup. These are the guys that were telling me for years that this is your, you know, you don't have promotion relegation, but you have the Open Cup and they know who they are and you can't just make all that go away. So, you know, they've got to cover their own butts when it comes to this stuff, because this has been their, one of their talking points for since I started doing this. Yeah, so there was a backlash and MLS in conjunction with US soccer clearly uh, came out with some public statements saying, well, US soccer was saying, no, no, you know, the request from MLS to have their third division, basically academy participate in the Open Cup has been denied. And everybody celebrated as if that was some sort of big win. Oh yeah, US soccer put their foot down. And I immediately, immediately, Went no, out and said, guys, what are we talking about? This was no victory. U.S. soccer did not put their foot down at all. They did not say, hey, they, you must they, they put their foot up for the first time in a long time. That well, was to see, but you're right. They, it was all, for me, all they did was leave open a giant loophole. Correct, correct. They left it open as for a negotiation. 
in the future, which is where we're at now, Ted. A couple of days ago, it came out in the news cycle. Hey, it looks like, you know, MLS and US soccer are talking things out to see how or what can be done about this Open Cup situation. And the latest that I read is that maybe there's going to be a reduced number of MLS first teams in the Open Cup. Um, so that is unacceptable. Absolutely well, unacceptable. It should be black and white. Yesterday it came out that so people are saying behind closed doors that MLS is just trying to scuttle the whole tournament. So, I mean, and that's some MLS owners have been doing that for a long time. According to Adrian Hanauer, like 10 years ago said that. So Sounders owner. So, you know, it's, it's the same culprits. It's the same stuff. Yeah. And let's be clear. This impacts everybody. This impacts everybody who is not MLS. I mean, USL, obviously. The business owners of those clubs, they get shafted. The players on those teams, they get shafted. They'll get exposure. The coaches, the coaching staff, uh, everybody who works for a particular USL club and lower division than USL, USL League One, you you name it. Everybody down the chain is getting the shaft by this occurring. I don't know how any self-respecting journalist can just turn a blind eye to it. I mean, look, you said something before about people bringing up the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NBA as these um, as these examples of the greatness of the U.S. system. Here's how that system works. You, an NFL team is worth or an NBA team is worth X amount of dollars because there's no competition because they absorb. I mean, you look at English soccer. Of course, the Man Cities and, and and all of those clubs, the top, the big six are going to be like hugely overvalued compared to everybody else. But the lower division sides are worth something. And and the, and that 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 equity is distributed down the pyramid. And so when you talk about, oh, NFL team is worth so much, you know, in an open system that the reason that maybe that they're worth a little bit more than Real Madrid or maybe, you know, you're starting to get comparable there. Because that wealth is shared. And so yes. you have hundreds of, of professional teams, not just like 20, not just 30. And they're all shelling just equity. They're all shelling, sharing this value. And that's that's one of the things that the, that I try to tell the people who say, well, look at the NBA is, you know, those teams are, no, no, it doesn't work like that. It's because that value is simply lifted from the, the teams that, that are being denied opportunity to reach the top play. And frankly, why do you care as a spectator? You don't. Why, do you care? why, why <laughs> would you care that if the Lakers are worth X billion dollars or whatever, or half of that or double it's, that it's or 10 times that? Why, that you, I, why would you care? It's rare that you have, it's rare that I have that conversation with a real person. It's so strange. It's like, well, look at the Cowboys. Look at their value. If somebody, if the billionaire wanted to sell it. Like, why do you why care, are you, Jerry? Why are, you, yeah. why are you taking pride in that or, or defending that? No. Um, how about opening the system up and letting everybody merit their way to the billions or not? And inspire the investors and inspire the supporters and inspire everybody. So when you say, Ted, because it's a frequent line of yours that the lower divisions are being robbed of equity, this is really what you are discussing. When you seal off the top, then there's, I mean, just fodder left over from, right. from low. You right. can't do anything. Who would right. invest? Right. Right. I mean, people, they're trying. Hand it to USL. They're trying. Hand it to some of these lower division clubs that are really trying. And Peter Wilt's a great example of a guy who left MLS and has brought 
a couple of clubs out and from, I mean, brand new clubs and has done some amazing marketing stuff to make that work. Um, but still you have a stilted system that denies value. And so you want to say, you know, there are two schools of thought there. Well, we got to get rid of that system. We got to get rid of the hierarchy. We got to get rid of the governance so that, you know, then, you know, any league can come up and do that, which of course is ridiculous because the American experience proves that there aren't 20 baseball leagues competing for the baseball. There aren't 20 football leagues. I mean, the natural course of that closed league philosophy is one league. It's one organization that survives. The rest get wiped out. And so there's no anybody who wants to come out and argue that I'm, you come at me. It's such an easy argument to defeat. But that's kind of the one they're trying to put out there. Well, anybody could be D1 now. Oh, look, we just gave uh, the new USLW League. They got the Super League. They got you know, now they're got a D1 section. I mean, look, anybody could do this, but the natural progression of American sport is to wipe out all competition and then to create a system of artificial scarcity that increases the value of your own team. So right. that's how anti-competition works. And why, you know, I know it's a big American tradition, but it's not one that we can't undo. Right. And actually USL, given it the old college try and all the other ones, and being successful at it to a certain degree, I think is a testament to the enormous size of our soccer market and the hunger that exists in this country for it. Somebody like USL can just pop up these teams all across the country, dot the whole country with them. And then, and Ted, they're being quote unquote successful relative to other second divisions across the world. They are getting 3,000, 5,000, 7,000 people in their, in their stadium. And as of, as of 10 years ago, as of 10, 10, seven to 10 years ago, second division, us soccer, MASL and USL at that point, were drawing more than competitive with with minor league baseball. I mean, and beating them in, in crowds. And you're right. That's, it just speaks to that potential. And it speaks directly against the people who say, this, this isn't a soccer country. That's the problem. That's why MLS struggles to get fans. That's why it's a circus. That's why they got to bring in Messi. You know, is that's, that true? that's why it works like that. But that yeah, works. you and I both know that that's not true. It's not true. It is not true. San Antonio FC has done some remarkable stuff down there. And even Sacramento, you remember what Sacramento's first season? They were drawing 20,000 yep. fans there. Yep. Um, yep. you know, and you know, the next step though, is I mean, class- park Rangers were out drawing triple right. A minor league baseball teams. I mean, it's the line. Right. Right. No, we are a soccer hungry and huge soccer market. Guess why the 2026 world cup is here. Guess why they're having club world cup here. Guess why they're having all these events here in the United States. And they've been having them forever. Guess why the 1994 was the most attended world cup in history is because we have a world-class soccer market, the envy of the world, actually. And the only thing that's keeping it down is the monopolization of the marketplace. It's right. it's as simple as that. Ted. Straightforward. You and I both know it. Straightforward. So, Straight, so and, and, and Rude Hollett said it too. He said, he said back in the day when he was working with um, Alexi Lalas at uh, LA Galaxy on his departure, he said that U.S. pro sports investors are just kind of trying to keep soccer safe from their other investments Mm. and the NFL owners that are involved and the owners of other sports are, you know, 
and they're just trying to, um, I mean, these guys are used to boxing a market and selling and selling to that market. So they like to box it off and sell it. And so what these guys have done, and I know not every MLS investor is an, is an NFL guy, but the kingpins are, I mean, the Super Bowl winner is so they like to box these things off and do this. So for me, it's very straightforward. They like to box soccer off and put it in a place in the market that doesn't threaten their other investments. And I think it's 100% obvious that's been happening since MLS started. Well, everybody wants to preserve and grow their wealth. We all understand this. Yeah. Right? So, so, so what do we do, you know, as plebs here? Well, we try to allocate some money into the stock market, put it into an S&P uh, index, maybe you know, buy some real estate to, you know, so that our money isn't debased away through inflation and taxation, all this stuff. So you're constantly try on the lookout. What do you do with whatever wealth you might have? And it's no different with these billionaires, more exacerbated with the, when you're that wealthy, this is a great asset class to own the sports asset class, especially here in the United States. That is why they are involved. They are not involved for soccer. They are not involved for developing the game and making it the best possible. They don't give a flying fuck about soccer or anybody involved in soccer. They are ha this is an asset class, an asset class that is protected in many ways through monopoly power. And that is why they put their money in there. That's I, I have no problem with entrepreneurs going out there and trying to dominate a marketplace. No problem. I have no problem with Zero. making a billion dollars doing Brilliant. something great. I don't care. Not, it's fine. Whatever. Not a classist argument. This is not, this is just a, you know, it's about an opportunity. Oh, and I mean, that same, that same drive could bring soccer clubs of no on a global level hundreds of communities in the United States yeah. because they have people in those communities who love their communities, who want to do something for their communities and invest in their communities. And this gives them an opportunity to do that. Which brings us full circle to governance and the role of the Federation. Okay. I also have no problem with MLS. I actually have no problem. This is what people don't understand. It's great. If I were, if I had the opportunity, I'd, I'd behave the same way, probably most likely, almost certainly. Yes, here, I'm investing my money here. We keep this motherfucker closed a hundred percent. I mean, that is why yeah. I'm in here. The okay. People who say Don Garber's dumb. Don't no, 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 Ted, but Ted, the point is I have no issue with what, with MLS, it's people, what they're doing. I get it. I'd be one of them too. The issue is governance. governance okay. We have a federation that is presumably right or explicitly actually chartered to look out for the well-being of all its constituents not just mls and its owners so why don't we hold their feet to the fire and this is a great opportunity this is a referendum on the fan base right now and on journalists and media with this open cup fiasco this is a this is an inflection point ted this is it in many respects the one of them there is lots and here's e another one either but the yeah. federation puts on the big boy pants and actually demonstrates to the world, to the public that no, we actually are independent and we actually are doing and fulfilling our fiduciary or we are not. It's one or the other. It's, it's straightforward. It's straightforward. And there are people in us soccer who believe this as strongly as you and I, that's what I can say. So how this, how this spins out, um, is still anyone's guess, but, but Ted, in my opinion, and maybe you have another view. 
you look at the president of U.S. soccer now, it's Cone, and you've got these these people on the board of directors. They are, and forgive me, I, I can't find another word. They're just totally compromised. They are instruments of major league soccer. Um, I mean, not necessarily directly. It's just they know the incentives are, hey, if I oppose major league soccer, my career, my future, my aspirations are under threat. Well, you, there's no revolving door to MLS once you come out of U.S. soccer um, opposing MLS. Right, right. So if you want to, yeah, you want to, if you want to, uh, you know, you can't feed your family on future promises of promotion relegation. So, so we they, need, you know, they have to do what they have to do and other people have to do what we have to do. Right. No, we need independent directors there. And none of those, yeah. none of those directors are independent. I mean, you know, there are people in U.S. soccer who are, I think, looking out for the best degree. And there are people in U.S. soccer who support promotion relegation. Now they don't, they can't, it's not, I don't think that that's um, something they can speak up on, but I think that, look, we saw a little bit, a little bit of it when some did finally lose their, their interest in U.S. soccer and the, 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 uh, at least on paper split those two. So despite all of this and despite all MLS's trouble, I mean, I think a lot of this, a lot of this open cup and a lot of MLS acting out right now is because of that. And I think that's a good thing. So, you know, hopefully U.S. open cup works out. Um, I think it would be a real shame if they managed to to shut it down altogether. That would be, in my mind, ridiculous. But that's one of the things that's being discussed. And I think if U.S. soccer goes down that road, I, I can't think of many bigger derelictions of just basic responsibility than that. I mean, here you have one of the most legacy-laden tournaments in the world, um, unknown, unheralded. Um, but yet just a gigantic, I mean, it's a monster of possibility, that tournament, and it's never been fully fleshed out. And, and I think you and I agree that MLS never wanted to see it fleshed out and, and yeah, they really shoot themselves in the foot if they do this wrong. I imagine that they're contemplating shutting it down because that's the way that they can bypass the professional league standards. It's a legal escape route. Just shut the whole thing down and then there's not a compliance issue. Right. If it doesn't exist, there's no compliance issue. Yeah. So if they, man, but that is such a dereliction. I mean, it's, it's, it's epic. And to anybody out there, you know, follow me on Twitter, soccer reform, go to LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I mean, you'll see every day U.S. Open Cup has an amazing history. It's not some quaint tournament that of amateur sides that goes all the way back to, you know, 1920, it's a professional tournament. There was a, they had to devise an amateur cup in the 1920s because there were too many professional sides competing in it. The amateur sides couldn't even get a leg into the U S open cup. So they needed an amateur cup. So let's be clear about that. But American professional soccer has an amazing history. And the fact that we don't know about it is one of the saddest things out there. Yeah, what what is your opinion on Don Garber being part of the board of U.S. Soccer? I mean, I mean, do you, do you, does I mean, at the end of the day, it's 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 par for the course in terms of having federation. It's, it's all the other mechanisms in there and the pro leagues. I mean, you know, and I'm no expert on on how to detangle or how to even describe it, but the conflicts of interest are naked at this point. And you know, Cindy Cohn is is I don't know Cindy Cohn. I've never met Cindy Cohn, but the way that Don Garber is handling her and the way that he introduced her and is bringing her through the system clearly indicates to me that it's, uh, you know, he's bringing up somebody who's looking out for him because he's looking out for her. So 
There are myriad problems and so much money is in MLS depending on how you read the balance. So um, yeah, it's a conflict of interest and it goes fairly deep. And a lot of the other folks in U.S. soccer in the upper echelons have been groomed at this point by MLS and, and are in there to do the work of MLS, basically. How does this all play out, Ted, with USL? What ultimately ends up happening? I think USL the bones. Uh, USL, to, for me, is split into two camps. I think there's a promotion relegation camp. I think they need to mine their P's and Q's. And there's a merger camp, right? And who think that at some point MLS is going to either merge or do what they've done with other USL clubs is do this bogus promotion and pull them out of USL and get them into MLS, which is completely against FIFA statutes. But MLS has gotten away from this before. FIFA has complained. You, you can see that it's sort of slowed down over the most recent years. The newer clubs now are not the Sounders and the and this Cincinnati FC, and they're not just grabbing these clubs and pulling them up. These are actually the new clubs in San Diego and St. Louis. And, you know, so they're being a little bit more careful about that. But there's one thing about U.S. pro sports mergers that that is incontrovertible, and that is look at the NBA merger, look at the AFL merger with the NFL. Most of these teams are dead. They don't survive the merger. The, the, the big boys decide which one survives and they, they kill off the rest of them. So I hope that everybody understands that. And so if you're going to roll the dice with MLS and you're in USL, you're hoping that they rescue you from, from USL at some point or they pull you up. I don't think FIFA's having that anymore. And I think that any merger talk means carnage for most of USL. Not that USL doesn't lose teams every year still. I mean, not that it's, you know, you and I both agree they're doing better. But no, no second division in the world that I can see loses as many teams on a regular basis as USL. And I don't think it's even close. I mean, the instability in USL is still there. Now, they're still able to bring up teams to make it keep running. But and, you know, I hear about a 28 percent, you know, increase in in uh, in attendance and some increase in viewership. But but it's nowhere near the championship in terms of how it's embedded into American soccer culture yet. And I don't know that they get there. And player bank, for crying out loud, is nowhere near. I mean, I think this is one of those things that get lost, is that players are making living wages down to D5 in England. And that ain't, that's not even close in American sports. But, I think that's, that's be- one of those shining stars of, you want to make this? You want to make this work for players? You want a system that works for players? That's the open system. Right. Because there are plenty of great players in lots of different sports out there. And I think a G League team just beat an NBA team recently. And I mean, you know, again, it's like the drop-off between major league players in this country, which you're talking about a skill drop-off, very small, is, is it's a precipitous clip that did almost nothing. And that is part and parcel of closed systems. It doesn't happen in open systems. Like I said, Players are making living wages in the fifth division of English soccer. Not even remotely possible here in any sport. That speaks directly to the, to the greatness of an open system. Well, competition for labor, um, yep. frankly speaking. Is, yeah. Hey, if you're in the lower divisions and you want to go up, well, guess what? You need to find the best talent and to get, the, and to get them, you have to pay them. And it's yep. a competition. End of story. Yep. So second division players would be making two, three, four times what they're making now. And don't tell me, oh, but look at the budgets, Gary, the owners of USL don't have enough. 
Well, they would sell their franchise to the <laughs> to billionaires who will handle the the, the ticket. And I mean, Americans are playing what West Ham it, now. I mean, not, we're talking about Wrexham. I mean, look at all the people buying these lower division clubs in England. This is not. I think people are starting to understand this, and it's great to see. It's great. One of those like, there's an aha moment for me. It's that like, yeah, somebody will how just are these come guys in. investing. I mean, England. Of course, they're going to invest here in lower division. The, the landscape is going to look completely different. You're, you can't look at a USL team budget of in this closed system. It's going to be, you're gonna, it's a different universe when it opens. It's, it's, you can't even, you, you, there's no definition that's going to be, it's not applicable. Well, whoever owns the new MLS franchise in San Diego now, well, they wouldn't have been able to do that. They would have instead maybe bought the loyal, right? And just infused their cash through the San Diego loyal. And or there's a football 50 year old clubs down there too, the nomads, or you know, there's, no, there's yeah, teams nomads, the nomads Albion who just shut it's down just... their fourth tier team. You name it. I mean, there are teams with history and, and San Diego soccer, even in San Diego, there's yeah. teams like that. It's not just in New York, it's not just at Boston. Like, soccer history is all over the place here, and it we're just not even, yeah. I mean, that's you get out, I'll get on that soapbox forever, so you probably understand. Well, we're, we're not even even, we, we've probably tapped 10% of the potential in this country. If that, I would go lower. I think no. we're at like 5%. I mean, the first sport who really opens to, to, to promotion relegation, and I mean, in a serious way, it's going to be, I mean, baseball would become, I think would become the top sport in the, in the United States again, if, if, when they open. And I think there's a shot that they will open, but you know, again, that's a tougher, it's a much tougher ask. For a baseball to open, then a soccer to open, because we have the precedents, we have the governance, we have all the systems in place to make open soccer work in the United States right now, where baseball is going to have to come up with it from scratch. So that's why soccer has such an advantage when it comes to opening. Yeah. God damn it, Ted. But in many respects, sometimes, give me your take on this, Ted. So many folks say, oh, follow the money. It's about the money. I have a different view. Money, yes, quite important, no question. Power is so fundamental as well. So it's it's the concentration, it's the consolidation, it's the pursuit of power in many respects. It's not the pursuit of money. These are if you look at the balance sheet of an MLS portfolio, I would say I would say portfolio. So a lot of the people that are invested are are looking at this in terms of a a portfolio, which which I think then you are. You're, you're in a different realm than just how much does my MLS team make? I mean, they're looking at this in a, as their group of holdings, right? So, and I think that that, and the system opens up for MLS to be treated in a slipshod manner because of that. That's kind of where I would, right? Yeah, because a lot of the fan base gets stuck in the mud saying, oh, well, Gary, you know, they should develop players to sell them for 5 million or 6 million or 10 million to Europe. And that, that's a great business. That's what the owners want. You know, I'm like, guys, $6 million to Arthur Blank is stuck, is lost in his couch somewhere. It means nothing, nothing to these people to sell a player for $6 million. Sure. It helps with operations, you know, running the business for the general manager to have some money and hire people or whatever. But from a big picture perspective, that is not the business model. People need Arthur, to understand. Arthur Black's portfolio. And I mean, I, you can't help but be impressed by the, the presence of the soccer 
the soccer presence in Atlanta and how they managed to to access that. And Atlanta United, it's been it's remarkable. But then that becomes one of those examples of any team that's in, that's supported to the level of an Atlanta FC or a Seattle Sounders. That that any team that's that that's supported to that degree in the world is is either a world class club or pushing a world class club. Yeah, and I mean, if you're a supporter of one of those teams, it seems to me that you should notice that whatever's happening to that support, it isn't going towards making that club a world class club. It's right. being siphoned off into the operations world of MLS somewhere to go somewhere else to do something else to pay back someone else to. Who knows? But that's sort of the fundamental disconnect. And that's why, to me, that's one of those things where MLS loves casual fans. Because if you get serious, if you get serious enough to care where your support is going, and you get serious enough to care that your world-class support is producing a piss-poor franchise that's limited to be something at best championship level and probably League Two level in, in England. I mean, it's like how, if you're a real supporter... You're going to notice that and say, that's got to end. I want my support to be spent on my club. But again, here we are in American soccer. No, I think you nailed it. The MLS loves the casuals. They, so they like it. You know, they want Alexi Lasa again. I like going back to the fourth of Alexi over the years because he says it. It's like, well, you know, if you're going to MLS game, you're choosing between mini golf and going to the movies <laughs> and going to Applebee's or maybe go to MLS. And I'm like, that's not be in that category. You know it. You know, the reason it's there is because MLS wants it there. That's the only reason it's in that category. And yeah, nobody's, not, making the, that, nobody's making that choice with an NFL game, by the way. I mean, are you kidding? And nobody's, at the end of the day, nobody's making that choice to go see Messi because by the time you bring a family of four to a, to a Messi game at MLS, you're spending $1,000 just to get in the door. So, yeah. yeah the okay. Screwy economics of American soccer. Ted, Ted, send us off with some hope here. How, what, what, What's what look, I mean, is there light at the end of the tunnel somehow to me? It's really, it's been, it's been straightforward since about year five. And that is, you know, initially I said, well, well let's just have another federation. Another federation is a giant waste of time, really at the end of the day. But, but then I was thinking, well, let's just have an organization that can be a member of us soccer that can carry the interests of the majority of American soccer folks who believe in an open system. And I do believe it's a majority. So if there was an organization for those people that was in American soccer, and I think we inch closer to this every day, that starts to change the dynamic. And I think an organization like that can draw some serious institutional support as a nonprofit and can put itself up as a really interesting counterpoint to the MLS billionaires. And I think that's still... You know, coming from my perspective as a political fundraiser back in the day now, but that to me is still the most intriguing concept of it all. And I think if we can find a way to get to that organization and get it funded, I mean, I, I think that's to me, that's an entirely new system. And then the pathway becomes a little bit clearer in terms of, you know, we can, I think that organization can be devoted to a fully open system all the way to D1 finding a way to get that done and setting that up. And what that does to MLS or doesn't do to MLS is nobody's business. But I think there's a school of thought that needs to change in terms of this organization and this new system is going to draw in clubs and leagues that care, including, I think, 
some MLS sides that can escape MLS and get into an open system. And I think that that, to me, that's the most obvious way to move forward. And I think that's part of the reason that some of the people had so vehemently disagree with me because, because it's, I think it's a real threat and I think it can really work. What, what would this organization be doing specifically? It would be setting up and implementing an open system for American soccer. And it, it would be doing what U.S. soccer doesn't do. It would be setting that up, doing it, and getting it sanctioned. And but they, doing it with or without U.S. soccer, honestly. But I think as a member of U.S. soccer, it has a much better shot. And I think in the current, in the current, in our current environment, where that we're finding a little independence at U.S. soccer, I think this is about the most thrilled route we would have for that organization in years. So maybe since MLS started. So for me, that becomes, you know, we can find a way to get that off the ground, get it funded. Um, and, it, you know, it, honestly, devising and implementing that system. Also, I think it, it makes sense for that organization to go out and promote the values to, to maybe do kit sponsors, to maybe do anything to get the new word out there that this is that this is going to happen. And, and, and I think if it works, you're going to see the values of clubs go up. And I think. If that happens, there's no stop. And I think that that's, I, I don't think that's a tall ask because a lot of clubs out there, as you and I know, are worth about as much as, you know, a five views Toyota Camry. So I think it's, it's, you can find a way to raise the value of these clubs in a system like that. Suddenly you have some momentum that we don't have right now. So hopefully we can find a way to make minds meet and get that off the ground. At least that mine. There are, I mean, we can continue to go on and talk about it. And I think it's only going to get bigger, but I think the way to shortcut it is that organization. Got it. And it would be a member of U.S. soccer. I think it would, I think it, I think it can be, I think it should be, you know, that's going to be up to U.S. soccer, but I think it should position itself to be a member of U.S. soccer. And then it can take all of that off. And, you know, I've heard a lot of legal concerns over the years in terms of, well, how do you manage, you know, how can U.S. soccer and Sherman act and. Can they mandate leagues and they can, how much legal authority do they have to, to sanction this and do that and do this? And I think this organization takes that off of their plate and makes it, turns it into a more, maybe turns it into a, an easier sell in that, in terms of how it deals with, with amateur sides and professional sides. Maybe it's two separate organizations. It can be flexible in a way that U.S. soccer cannot be flexible as a gigantic organization like U.S. soccer. I think that opens it up to more legal proceedings than a, than a smaller organization within U.S. soccer. So I'm probably going to have to have you back on here at some point in the future to maybe flesh out the details of this, because this is new to me, this concept that you're throwing out there. But suffice it to say, I, just one point of clarity, um, it sounds like a federation within a federation is what you're proposing kind you know, of I, I guess maybe it can sound like that but american sports as we discussed american sports has some idiosyncrasies so maybe doing this as a organization within a federation opens up possibilities that the federation in itself itself can't have i mean you know maybe we're leaving the federation to govern both an open system and a closed system at the end of the day i'm not you know at one point maybe i would have been more against that but at this point i think I think if we got a fully open system all the way to Division One and got the cockpit calf slots allocated and got that out to the world, I think that uh, I think we could snag a couple of MLS teams into it and in relatively short order. I think there are a couple of owners out there who 
not only have the, the desire to get out of MLS and into an open system, but the legal wherewithal to do it. And I think that, you know, once I, I, I think all of this is possible within that structure. And I think, you know, I think it's going to need attorneys to figure that out for 100% sure, but I think it can be nimble enough and flexible enough so that we can make it work. Well, in the meantime, we have to continue rallying support yeah, oh, yeah. And, and educating. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it, that's the most important thing. And I think your point about the ecosystem is always one of the best points. And if people, this isn't about USL doing promotion and relegation with itself. Look, San Francisco Soccer League, the National Soccer League of Chicago, the Cosmo League, which used to be the German American League, these leagues and more are doing, doing promotion and relegation with themselves for 70, 100 years. So breaking this down into smaller leagues doing promotion and relegation as if that's a groundbreaking thing that's going to change everything, not. It's, it, you know, it's a systemic change and we have to make a systemic change. Otherwise, you know, the, authentic, the authenticity is key and for it to be authentic and sell to, the, to, to Americans, it's got to be open. And it's frankly, it's got to be in competition with MLS. It's got to be uh, organizations out there saying we're the real deal. Yeah. Here, here it is. Like we're going all the way to the, to D one. This is how we're doing this. We're going to build an authentic soccer system in the United States. So, but it, it's about that. It's about that, those broader economic concepts. And I think those are the concepts that you and I, I mean, and that everyone I know deals with in their everyday life. Like, why are you letting somebody else dictate? You know, would you let somebody else dictate how, how much your house is worth or how much your assets are worth in other parts of your life? Yet, here's what you're doing if you're in the business of American soccer, if you're a U.S. lower division soccer owner. You are allowing somebody else to decide how much your product is worth and not the consumer. Yeah. If those people aren't deciding. Yeah. No, or, or deciding yeah. how far your kids can go, frankly speaking. How far right. can your oh, kids yeah. go? They are, they are deciding that. They are limiting the number of kids that can actually go make somewhere. Living. Yeah, make, make a living, living. go somewhere. End of story. That's that whole thing about the fifth division soccer in England. I mean, there are kids, you know, there are kids making a living. And frankly, if you imagine this getting out in the in the African-American community with, with basketball. I mean, there are plenty of kids who are coming in just under the NBA level who make jack. Yeah. Who can't, who, who play street ball, you yeah. know? It's like, well, we really have my well, God. We, well, we really, you no, know, we really have this distorted view that the cream rises to the top here in this country, and it's and it's something that's simply not true. It is the cream that you see were selected for. Um, it, it wasn't a meritocracy that got them there necessarily. I mean, sure, players have to do their part, but there's a gatekeeper that says yay or nay, and once they say nay, and here's the critical point: once they say no, there's no path for you to come back and get a yes everywhere across the world if somebody a club says no you're not good enough for our first division club or whatever great but there's a path to get there right you start in the third tier the fourth tier the second tier and you can earn your way up there through the success of the club that you're currently at unlike the mls draft where i've seen statistics of 90 percent of those players and selected in the draft aren't playing professional soccer of any kind within three right. years Right. Yep. It's a joke. It's a straight up. If that's true, it's a joke. And I mean, yep. why are you even doing that? What's the, what's the point? You're just trying to give some kid a hope that you're just trying to make it. It's a public relations gimmick at that point and very yep. little else. 
Ted, I know it's noon there, past noon for you. Any last uh, thoughts or remarks, things that, you know, you think you want to put out there? Uh, you know, I know that I've discovered that people have trouble with epiphanies these days. Don't be afraid to have an epiphany on this. It's not going to be bad. You don't have to say that everything else you believed before. I was an MLS season ticket holder. I put tons of money into American soccer that went nowhere. You don't have to question your entire life and you don't have to hold yourself accountable for believing something that you used to believe. It's just let your mind go. It's this, this can work. You, you didn't do anything wrong by being in the system, but allow yourself to have an epiphany about it. Don't allow yourself to, to believe that it can be a million times better because it can be. That's the perfect parting remark. I was I was in 1996, LA Galaxy, very first game, Rose Bowl. I was there. I've been involved in MLS ever since. It's okay to be involved in MLS and say, you know what? Something's wrong here. We've got to change it. It's not good. It's like the, the economy of scale that's going to happen after we open American soccer is you're going to be fine. I know it's tough to come out against MLS right now in a lot of different quarters, but the end of the day, everybody's going to be fine. Yeah. And, and you don't have to be, what's, what's the name? Wade Wallace, uh, Braveheart or something where you hear yeah. for, for your beliefs and you're a hero. It, it's not that magnitude. It's okay. It's okay to say something about soccer. It's all right. You don't have to fall on your sword. You don't have to. You can just have a little epiphany and you can put it out there. Is it going to be tough? Yeah. Do, do a few billionaires not want it to happen? You betcha. You know what? I mean, that's sort of the story of America on a lot of different levels. If you just let a few people decide how much money you're going to make or how things go, that's the prescription for almost every bad thing that has happened in American history. So is, does this rise to the level of civil rights? Does it rise to all of that? I hear that all the time. Like you, you care about this so much. It's not like civil rights. It's not like people, not like genocide. I was like, no, but it's about economic opportunity, which is part of what any country needs to care about. If you don't care about economic opportunity, you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble. And we're, as a country, we're in a little bit of trouble right now. So Agreed. You know, I think it's okay to concentrate on that again. It's not, you know, I believe in civil rights on every, on every level, but economic rights are right there. And, and, and frankly, civil rights without economic rights, what do you even, what is your right? What right? What are those rights giving? I mean, if you don't have economic rights that go with civil rights. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, good. I mean, then we're all coming down to the same level, but you yeah. know, economic rights are critical. Brilliant, Ted. Where can people find you, man? Uh, the Twitter is Soccer Reform. Uh, the LinkedIn is, uh, you can find me in my name, Ted Westervelt. And uh, I've been really happy with a lot of the stuff going on on LinkedIn. It's been really, it's been fun to engage with a lot of people all over the world on this. And uh, Twitter works too. Um, but LinkedIn is, it's nice on LinkedIn because you're usually talking to real people in real time and, and it's, it's been refreshing. Awesome. Ted love having you on. No, you're, thanks Gary. I mean, it's always a fun conversation every time you're, you're a brilliant man. Yeah. Oh, you shut can, up. You can, no, you can, no, you can speak about this stuff a lot better than I can. And like I said, we come at it from different angles, but we come to the same conclusion, which is we need to open the market, man. Yeah. I mean, to me, guys like you who are in this, in this world right now are, you're a different breed than me. And I, you can't, we, you're the guys we need. So Thanks, guys, brother. it doesn't work. Thanks brother. We're, we're going to have to do this in person again. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank awesome. you, Ted. Talk to you later, Gary.
Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.